When we sense danger, we have an acute stress response. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Now, which one of these is yours? These are instinctive reactions to danger. So your brain has been alerted to stress, and your body just responds in the moment. The fight response is your body's way of facing any perceived threat aggressively. Flight means your body urges you to run away from the danger. And freeze is your body's inability to move or act against a threat. Fawn is your body's stress response to try to assuage or try to please someone to avoid conflict. So do you know what yours is? Is yours uh, fight? Raise your hand if you're fight, a fighter. Okay, good, we have those. If yours is flight, raise your hand. Okay, if yours is freeze, raise your hand. And if yours is fawn, raise your hand. Um, these are just instinctive things that we do, and the goal of all of these responses is to discern, to end, or to evade danger. Now, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world without danger? What benefits can you imagine in a world without danger? Think about it. Um, I immediately thought that we can allow our kids to run wild with scissors in their hands. That's a benefit. They could cross the street without having to look both ways. They could touch hot stoves. We could swim with sharks. I thought about that. Wouldn't that be fun if there was no danger? Um, women could walk in the dark without worrying. I don't know, a world without danger, what would that look like? Uh, and for one thing, a big portion of our fear would be eliminated off the top. In a world without danger, our stress levels would decrease substantially. Instead, we've got to face a world with a lot of danger in it in the course of our lifetime, real or perceived. We're in a sermon series entitled, What Are You Afraid Of?, and some of what we're afraid of is not actually dangerous, but today we're going to talk about danger and specifically about an additional layer of danger for those who follow Jesus. Extra danger that comes upon those who follow Jesus. Today we're going to talk about demons. Coolio the rapper just passed away a couple weeks ago. He was best known for Gangsta, Gangsta's Paradise a song that spoke to the real hardships and fears around street life in a way that seemed to resonate with people from different walks of life. And this is what he said in a Rolling Stone interview, an oral history. Coolio said, a lot of people say that it saved them from whatever demons they were dealing with, that they listened to the song and it helped them carry on. I'm wrestling with my demons, we say describing an inner struggle with ourselves. Someone came to church on a bright Sunday morning and I overheard them say when greeted at the door, the devil's trying to get me today, but I'm not going to let him. We talk about the devil or demons 
when we face resistance, when it becomes extra hard to progress, when obstacles present themselves, more obstacles than expected. Have you ever heard or thought or said something like this? There's kind of a strange spirit around here. There's a spirit of, sometimes the spirit is named, the spirit of obstruction, of destruction. There's a negative spirit. There's a spirit of deceit. Or maybe we think about it this way, there's a bad energy around here. We talk about bad spirits when we suspect that something deep or something wrong is happening, we just can't put our finger on it or explain it exactly. Many Christians speak the language of spiritual warfare. They're quicker to assign spiritual influence to a wide variety of experiences. Uh, in In the same week, back to back, Two separate days, I had one person come in and say, well, there's something not right. There's some kind, of a, some kind of a spirit around here. And the next day, someone said, oh, I feel so good here. The minute I walk in, the Holy Spirit is here. It was the same location, same person, me, but entirely different perceptions. I don't tend to talk in spiritual warfare language because so much of the spirit world is hidden from us. And I really do not know. Like, I feel like I'm talking about something I don't know a lot about. And also, I've, come, I've seen people come up with different opposite descriptions of the same situation. But on occasion, I sense something or I suspect it. And I pray over it because I know there is something spiritual going on that I can't put my finger on. All of which is to say that Christians, those who follow Jesus have different understandings, different explanations, different vocabulary when it comes to the subject of demons. And today I'm just using that word demon as a catchword for all spiritual evil. But all of us agree, the devil is out to get us. There is evil in this world. There's a lot of evil in this world. This evil is active. It has a force, a movement, a power. Call it the devil, call it demons, call it an energy, call it a force. It's active and it is powerful. We agree that this evil is opposed to the things of God. It works against God's purposes, works against God's goodness, and against God's love. And we agree that we inevitably inevitably bump into it in our lives. We will be faced with evil. Now, maybe not today, maybe not every day, but we will be touched by it. And we agree that it is dangerous. The devil is trying to get us. Now, maybe not by making us oversleep and miss church. I'm not sure that's the devil's doing. Like, maybe you should have gone to bed a little earlier the night before so as to be ready for worship, to wake up in time. But the devil is trying to get us for sure. This force that is opposed to God is using its power, his power, which is plenty, to obstruct us in our pursuit of God. Uh, For example, there's a pattern that I've noticed that I've just seen too often to discount. And it's this, when after a person gets baptized, they've made a public commitment to God, and shortly afterwards, something bad happens to them. Something, some challenge comes to them. Some obstacle 
happens to them. And this isn't for everybody. It's not all the time. But it has happened often enough that I think, oh, yeah, that person just got baptized. And, it, and I've, I, I don't tell people it's going to happen. But when it happens, I'm like, yeah, that's part of that pattern. When we follow Jesus, the devil is trying to get us. I just want to say that uh, it's really dangerous to open the door to evil. There are people who dabble in the occult, who read books, who follow, who give themselves over to the occult. And I am saying that evil is real and opening yourself to it. It might be exciting at first, trying to figure out the unknown, trying to figure out mystery and secrets. It might be thrilling at first, but it's dangerous to invite evil in because the devil is trying to get you. And he does not want your good. We all have our first instinctual reactive response when threatened by danger, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. But then when the first shock waves off, we can be fully prepared to deal with spiritual danger. And that is very good news that I want to give you now. The devil is trying to get us, but God is for us. We have extra danger as followers of, de of Jesus, but we also have extra supernatural protection. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're reading in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Be strong. That's a command. That's an imperative. Our passage is going to be chock full of imperatives. Do this. It's kind of like an exclamation point. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Now, if all we had was this verse, it would be plenty enough for us. So I just want us to soak it in for a minute. There are three power words that are stacked together, a chain of power terms that describe the greatness of God's power. So our passage starts with an imperative it is commanding us to take action. And notice that the power belongs to God, not to us. That's very important because our power alone will not be enough when we face spiritual evil. But there is no question that God's power is ever so much greater than the devil's. And God wins every time. So take action. Be strong in God's power. Be empowered. Seize power. Fill ourselves up with God's power. It's something we can do, and to meet evil, we have to do. God's strength is always available to us in Christ, but we must be empowered in this great strength. Now, once we have seized God's power, there's more action to take. Notice the action words in this passage. We're in verse 11. Put on command imperative, put on the armor of God. And notice that it is God's, God's armor. It belongs to him. He fashioned it. He provides his armor to us. Uh, why? Now, why? You're reading along for the first time. You're like, well, why do I need armor? I don't go around walking in armor. 
most of the days. Why would I need it? Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's a long list of evil. It's been a list that has been a source of controversy for millennia. It's, it's a list that doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. Cosmic powers of this present darkness probably re refers to the powers behind astrology and magic. But that phrase and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly paces, those phrases are only found here in Ephesians. And many people have tried to look in the Bible for descriptions of hierarchy of spiritual forces, like who's on the bottom rung of spiritual evil. Many people say demons belong down there, but there are other things above. I once, uh, uh, I once read a book called This Present Darkness, and the author brought to life vividly in those pages an intricate evil spiritual world which then intersected with the characters who lived in the real material world and it scared me so bad I never read another one of his books. <laughs> well, it was all his imagination, of course. The fact is we don't really know. And I would say as material creatures with our feet firmly planted on earth, we're not meant to know the details of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly Places. But I found this description of it in a commentator uh, that that long list in verse 12 may just be, quote, shorthand for the myriad of powers, great and small, personal and impersonal, individual and systemic, that resist the saving activity of God among humanity. So that made me start to see of the categories of powers and to think through and see the breadth and the entanglement of evil in this world. We're meant to live our lives in the present. We're meant to know that more is going on spiritually than we can grasp with our limited knowledge, that there is evil opposition to God which touches our lives, and we're meant to do something about evil which is within our human capacity, but how do you fight something that you can't see? I'm glad you asked because the next verse tells us, verse 13. Therefore, take up, command, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Stand, imperative, therefore, and fasten, do this, Fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on, another command, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, of course, we know that we have no righteousness of our own that will protect us. This is Jesus' righteousness that he has given to us. Our righteousness is holy, H-O-L-E-Y, in the sense of having holes in it. And Jesus' righteousness is the other kind of holy, H-O-L-Y, being perfectly set apart from sin. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. As for shoes on your feet, put on, action word, whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Now it's interesting that with the military message of the armor of God, 
the shoes, the shoes are to make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Did you notice that? The gospel of peace. Elsewhere in the Bible, the metaphor of shoes is used to tell us to go to people who do not yet know about God and share the good news of Jesus with them. So our proclamation isn't a declaration of war. It isn't a rallying cry to the troops. It's a proclamation of peace with God, which we receive as a gift through Jesus Christ. Um, the other thing that this passage has a lot of is standing. A lot of standing in this passage. Notice that. But, but those shoes contribute to the fuller picture of what this armor is made for, the purpose of it. Verse 16, with all of these, take, imperative, the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the word for shield here is not that short little round one you know that you see, but the long one that covers the whole body. That's, that's the type of shield that is being talked about here. Take imperative, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? The armor of God. It's all we need when we face spiritual evil. And the fact is we are not helpless. We can do something about the danger of evil. We can prepare ourselves for the struggle which shall surely come to us. The armor is protection for us, but also empowerment so that we will be able to stand, our passage says. It gives us courage for the work that God calls us to do. Do you notice the urgency in this uh, chapter? All those imperatives direct us to actively suit ourselves with God's armor because we don't automatically have it on unless we put it on, unless we take measures to put it on. One commentator says this, the battle is real though the outcome is assured. What's the outcome of this spiritual struggle? What? God wins, give him an A plus. God is always gonna win. That's the outcome, we already know that. But the battle is real. The enemy is real, even if it's not flesh and blood. <clears throat> Armor and weapons are real, even if they're only the persistent, only the persistent and prayerful exercise of truth and, and peace, justice and the word of God. That's what we do with our armor. Persistent, prayerful exercise of truth and peace, justice, and the word of God. Now this passage was never meant to be read in the singular for the individual alone. It's meant for us to see each other side by side, similarly suited up, prepared, having strengthened, put on, taken, fastened, having not just received, but practiced truth, proclaimed the gospel of peace, worked for justice, immersed ourselves in the word of God together, together. And that matches God's wide purpose for us, which is that God allows us a share of the honor of participating in his salvation plan for the whole world for the universe, really. Because people who have been fooled by evil, people who are under the sway of the evil one, are miserable. They are hurting. And we get to share the gospel of peace with them.
Now, in spite of the fact that God will win in the end, this struggle today is our struggle. Today is the evil day that is mentioned in that scripture. It doesn't really matter what era we live in. The church has always been able to say, today is the evil day. There are plenty of evil days to go around. Tomorrow will be another one. We live in this moment to fulfill God's purpose to take the struggle to heal the cosmos to its very edges, one person said. As Christ's body, we are participating in the reign of Christ when we put on the armor of God. What an honor. This passage is not complete without the next few verses. Verse 18, pray, and here's another command, along with, there are going to be other imperatives, um, but a form of praying in these next two verses is going to be mentioned five more times in case we haven't paid attention. Pray in the spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, imperative, and always persevere, imperative, in supplication for the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Now, it's a little strange coming from that compelling, stirring description of the armor of God, the struggle against evil, the victorious, empowered Christian on the battlefield, then gave way in the next verses to a confining prison cell. In one swoop, Paul goes from general stirring up his troops to a prisoner in chains. Maybe it's not so much strange as it is corrective because we have to be very, very careful not to insert our culture's triumphalism into Ephesians 6 because we love to be number one. We love fame and money and influence. We follow it. We feed off of it. We love bigger and better. And I think this is true for other, almost all cultures as well. But we American Christians have followed arrogant, prideful, boastful leaders who have not been Christ-like. When problems arise, they don't act in a Christ-like way, and then the church covers for them for the sake of the gospel, we say, for the end result. This happens across denominations. It's our flaw, our too-big-to-fail problem that we have. And so our victorious, charismatic leaders are allowed to throw off accountability. They lose the corrective body of Christ. They lose the humbleness of Jesus who said the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So let us acknowledge that a military metaphor brings us very close to the territory of toxic triumphalism. Our picture that we have in our mind of the armor of God is probably taken more from the movies than from scripture. So let us admit that we imagine ourselves muscular, trained, victorious soldiers who decimate the enemy, who take no prisoners, but then let us please notice that victory looks like imprisonment for Paul. Victory looks like persistent earnest, praying in the spirit at all times. 
which brings us to our knees, bowed down, humbled before our Lord. The military message is an excellent teaching tool, but it can only bring us so far. The reality is that we move forward in this struggle on our knees. What are you afraid of? Today we looked at the power of evil, a real legitimate fear. I know there are Christians who are afraid that the devil will snatch them away from their heavenly father. Well, he may try, but his power looks like a pup-pup toy train on a string compared to the roaring locomotive power that belongs to God. And when we give God control over our lives, he gives us all the protection that we need. So take the armor of God, put it on, be strong, and pray. Let's bow our heads. Well, Jesus, there's an urgency to this passage which um, we confess we may not have been paying attention to. So I pray, God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would convict us of our need to participate in your salvation plans for the whole world that we have a part to play, that we need to be protected as we take on the part that you have given us in reaching others with your gospel of peace, that we need to be praying, that we need to be on our knees. So God, do your work in us. We thank you, we thank you that we do not need to fear because you have given us your armor. We thank you for your power and we pray that we would use it well. In Jesus' name, amen.